If you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Jude. I'll read verses 5 through 8. Now I want to remind you, though you know all things, that Jesus, having once saved a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, having indulged in the same way as these in gross sexual immorality, and having gone after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. Father, we pray that today as we go through your word that you would let mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to this church and to your church all around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So the letter of Jude focuses on root sins that must be repented of towards God, which can only be done by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, which is offensive to many in our day and age. And by and large, the evangelical church has been avoiding root sins and only focused on fruit sins, in which a sinner does not need the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ or the work of the Holy Spirit to turn from just their fruit sins. And we've been looking at that. What are two problems with only focusing on the root sins and not repenting of the fruit sins? First, when a person cuts off the fruit on a tree, eventually the fruit returns. Because every tree produces fruit, The good tree produces good fruit, and the bad tree produces bad fruit. Therefore, the root of the tree must be changed before the fruit can truly change. It's not enough just to pluck the fruit off that tree. Matthew 7, 16-17 Are grapes gathered from the thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Second problem, true repentance changes the root which produces good fruit. When a person never repents of the root sins, that person has never truly been born again and will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We don't want you to change your fruit. We want the whole root to be changed. We want you to inherit the kingdom of heaven just as we are. Matthew 3, 8 through 10. Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. And the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You must change the root. And just to be clear, a person cannot come 
to genuine, a genuine saving faith unless they repent of their root sins. And Jude says that a person that is unwilling to repent of these root sins will be punished with eternal fire. This isn't a scare tactic. I'm just telling you the truth of God's word. What may be the reason for the evangelical church to avoid root sins? By avoiding root sins, the church does not need the power of the Holy Spirit to discern how to interact with people individually and can use a one-size-fits-all technique for sharing the gospel. Therefore, the church can produce large numbers of so-called converts to Christianity without the work of the Holy Spirit. Our master was just the opposite. He met with people where they were, where they were at, and he forced them to look at their root sins that kept them from entering the kingdom of heaven. I have three examples. Mark 10, 17 through 22, Jesus told the rich young man that he must repent of his love of money in order to inherit eternal life. The rich young man needed to change. He needed a change of heart and mind. He needed to repent, changing his mind to God's way, turning from that to God's way. In John 3, 1 through 21, we see Jesus explains to Nicodemus that he must repent of his wrong thinking and his unbelief in the sovereign work of God to cause someone to be born again. Nicodemus needed to have a change of mind, and Jesus went right after that. He didn't say, just repent of your sins. He said, you need to change your mind. In John 8, 1 through 11, Jesus did not condemn the woman caught in adultery, but told her to repent and sin no more. This woman needed a change of heart. Although she was caught in adultery and everybody wanted to stone her for the adultery, Jesus said, you need a change of heart. Go and sin no more. So you see, Jesus did not treat each person as universal and just tell them to repent of their sins. Jesus told them to repent of the sin that was truly flowing out of their heart at that time, at that time that he met with them. So on the last time, we started going through Jude, verse 8, in which Jude shows us the fruit sins of the imposters because of their root sins. And we saw that in verses 5 through 7. So let's look at Jude 8 again. Yet in the same way these men, also by dreaming, defile the flesh and reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. So last time we started out by looking at how the root sin of unbelief leads to the fruit sin of blaspheming the glorious ones from Jude 5 and Jude 8. And we saw how these imposters' root sin of unbelief leads them to the fruit sin of grumbling against God's appointed servants. And today as we go through and we kind of go back over this and then look at the final root sin, we're going we're gonna to look at the negative and then we're going to kind of think about the positive. How can we contend for the faith in our own life and in the lives of others that are dealing with these root sins? So how might we contend for the faith against this fruit sin of grumbling against God's servants 
his appointed servants because of the root sin of unbelief. First, we must be willing to check our own hearts. We could pray the words of Psalm 139, 23 through 30, 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You could pray that prayer today. If you're struggling with unbelief. Second, look how Paul confronts Peter when Peter starts to follow the ways of the imposters. Galatians 2, 11, 21. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to shrink back and separate himself, fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before everyone, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by our works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. And I read that whole thing to show you Paul is dealing with another Christian saying, you are not walking in step with the gospel. So what does Paul do? He shares the gospel with that Christian. We try to set aside the gospel. It's offensive. But Paul goes straight to Peter with the gospel. That's how you contend for the faith in the church. Third, how to contend for the faith against unbelief and the fruit sin of grumbling against God's appointed servants. Explain to these imposters how God's appointed servants will be judged by God himself. How the imposters' unbelief causes them to grumble against God's appointed servants with a tongue that is full of deadly poison. This is how you contend for the faith. Listen to James 3, 1 through 12. Do not many of you become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the entire body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, 
they are still directed by a very small rudder, whether the inclination of the pilot wills. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members as the, that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our existence and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a fountain pour forth from the same opening fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? nor can salt water produce fresh. James is contending for the faith against the grumbling of the imposters. Listen to our master. Matthew twelve thirty three through 37 Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned." Explain to the impostors how the Lord Jesus Christ himself gave God's appointed servants as a gift to the church. And what I've been trying to say is you do this, you confront them in their sin at that time, just as Jesus did in the beginning when I told you, showed you Nicodemus. But you can explain to these impostors that are grumbling against God's appointed servants that these men are gifts from God. Ephesians 4, 8-16 When he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led a captive of hosts, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the full knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceit, scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body being joined and held together 
by what every joint supplies according to the properly measured working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. So when these imposters are grumbling about God's appointed servants, you can stop them and say, hey, you're grumbling about God's gift to his church for the building up of his church. And you can say, repent of your unbelief and the sovereignty of God. Doesn't sound too hard. Might be easier just to keep your mouth shut. But we're commanded to contend for the faith in the local church, as we've seen before in Jude 3 and 4. So let's move on and look at how the imposters' root sin of stubbornness rebellion in Jude verse 6 causes their fruit sin of rejecting authority in Jude 8. And on the last time we started looking at this, and I pointed out that because the imposters' root sin of stubbornness rebellion leads them to their fruit sin of rejecting the authority of Jesus Christ, that they never come to a true repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What might that look like in the church today? Well, we would call it practical denial, or as some call it, practical atheism, where the imposter professes that Jesus is Lord, but denies their own profession by living like Jesus does not even exist. Luke six forty six. Now why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Matthew fifteen eight. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. So although the imposters profess Jesus Christ as their Lord, they live their life according to their own will, and they do what pleases themselves instead of what pleases God. That is the root sin of stubbornness, rebellion, and it rejects authority. What might the imposters say that sounds like they are following Christ when they truly are not obedient to Christ? The imposter might say something like this. Now, because we are Christians and we are under God's grace, and because of God's grace upon us, God no longer commands our obedience to him, and God no longer makes demands on our lives. Now, because we are under grace, God just asks us to obey him for our best interests. And God just tells us what he would like us to do because he wants us to experience our best life now. That's what this might look like. That is rejecting the authority of God. That is stubbornness, rebellion. The imposter is like the scribes and Pharisees in Jesus' day. The imposter says, I would have been obedient in the days of the prophets. Maybe they even say, I'm obedient to the teachings of the reformers, to the teaching of the Puritans, or to the church traditions that they have grown up in but they are not obedient to Jesus Christ himself. Look what the Master says to the scribes and Pharisees, Matthew 23, 29-33. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would have not been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets, 
So you bear witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How will you escape the sentence of hell? And what's he saying? He's saying, you reject me right in your face. And you say, we would have followed the prophets. We would have followed the righteous. Yet Jesus was right there and they wanted to kill him. But that's what it looks like in our day as well. How might we contend for the faith against this fruit, sin, of rejecting authority of Jesus Christ because of the root sin of stubbornness rebellion? Number one, we must be willing to check our own hearts. Are you obedient to Christ? Romans six seventeen through 18. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart the pattern of teaching to which you were given over. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. Has this happened in your heart and mind? 1 Peter 1, 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to the obedience of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Has his blood sprinkled you? And has it made you obedient to him? That's the question you should be asking God. God, check my heart, search my heart. Second, point the imposter to the obedience of Jesus Christ. John 4.34, listen to what Jesus says of himself. Jesus said then, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Is your will to do Jesus' will? Imposter, you say you follow him. Is your will to do his will? Confront them in their sin. And as I said before, do it with mercy, peace, and love. Let that be multiplied in you, but still you must contend for the faith. John 5.30, the master says, I can do nothing from myself. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus, again, showing how he follows the authority of the Father. Yet these men say they're Christians and reject the authority of Christ, these imposters that we've been looking at. 1 Peter 2, 21-25 For to this you have been called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, who did not sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, who being reviled was not reviling in return while suffering. He was uttering no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sin, we might live to righteousness. By his wounds you were healed, for you were continually strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is how you contend for the faith. You point them to Christ, who him Self bore our sins, but who himself kept entrusting himself 
to God the Father who judges righteously. If Jesus can do that and Jesus is in you, you can do it as well. Show the imposter this. Contend for the faith. Remember the audience. You have the doubters. You have the influencers. And you have the influenced that we'll see later on in Jude. You have an audience. They need to hear the gospel. They need to see you contend for the faith. Third way to contend for the faith against stubborn rebellion. Point the this imposter to the authority of Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority is his. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, God, having spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, And these last days spoke to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Through him also he made the world, who is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power, who having accomplished cleansing for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Point the imposter to his his authority. It's Christ's authority. It's not our authority. He's rejecting Christ's authority. John 3, 35-36. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Imposter, you come to our church. We love you. You reject the authority of Christ. All those who believe on him will have eternal life, but the wrath of God remains on those who are not obedient. Come to Christ. Let's move on and look at how the imposter's root sin of pride in verse 7 causes their fruit sin of defiling the flesh in Jude 8. So on last time, I gave the definition of pride. And, and I made the point that pride is the root sin of all sexual immorality and homosexuality. And it must be repented of. So the definition of pride is to have a very low view of God and a very high view of self, which places the created being, man, higher than the creator, God himself, which consists of a refusal to glorify God, a refusal to give God thanks, a refusal to worship God according to his commands. That's what pride is. In our study, pride tells us that we are the most significant beings in all the universe, Thus we believe our work, family, friends, and God himself exist for us. Our desires must be given highest priority regardless of whom we hurt. That's pride. And that's what pride does. Pride starts with the defilement of the mind and leads to the defilement of the flesh because God opposes the proud and hands the proud person over to dishonorable passions 
as the due penalty for their error, as we saw in Romans 1, 21-27. Pride seems to be one of the most dominant sins in the professing church today, at least here in America. Divisions, sexual immorality, and homosexuality are rampant in the professing church today, and they all flow from the root sin of pride. But this is nothing new. This is just history. It's been happening over and over. The same sins come up. Listen to Paul. Paul charged the Corinthian church of being proud because instead of mourning over the sexual immorality in their church body, they boasted about it. Paul warned them that if they continued to tolerate this sin, that it would spread through the entire church. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and a sexual immorality of such a kind as as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife, and you have become puffed up and have not mourned instead, so that the one who has done this would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in the body, must must be present in spirit." have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present in the same name of our Lord Jesus Christ when you were assembled. And with you in spirit, when the power of our Lord Jesus delivers such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Clean out the old leaven so that, you may not, so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, also was sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we see a church that is full of arrogance, that is puffed up with knowledge, and the sin of pride is flowing all through that church in Corinthians. So Jesus, also another church that was charged with pride, Jesus charged the church in Thyatira for tolerating the imposter in the church and following her sexual immorality. Jesus commanded them to repent of their adultery and sexual immorality. Revelation 2, 18 through, 9, 18 through 29 And to the angel of the church at Thyatira write, This is what the Son of God, the one who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, says, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance, and that your last deeds are greater than at the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and deceives my slaves so that they commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent, and she does not wish to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into a great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, 
the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not have this teaching, who do not who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them. I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. And he who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. As I also have received authority from my Father, and I give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we see that this is snuck into the churches before. And God can deal with it. So how does the imposter bring this sin into the church today while saying they hold to the teaching of that local church? Well, the imposter may come into the church saying that God demands justice for all people. The imposter, because he or she defiles the flesh, says to the others in the church that it's okay because Jesus forgives us all of our sins. We shouldn't discriminate against anybody because all of our sins are forgiven. One pastor who's promoting the LGBTQ clergy and same-sex marriage in the church says that this is a new expression of Christianity for the world to see. And this pastor said, I see walls tumbling down, walls of oppression, walls of hatred, walls of intolerance tumbling down. Another imposter in the church that has the root sin of pride says, I may be a sinner, but my sin is not as bad as yours, and I would never sin in the same way as you. Both of these imposters have the root sin of pride. What do we do when it comes to the root sin of pride? One man writes, and this is long but good. He writes that we must have a right view of God and a right view of self. Many tolerate a view of God which is vastly beneath the revelation which God makes of himself in holy scriptures. God describes himself in the Bible in such language as I am that I am. I change not. I am holy. I fill heaven and earth. I will do all my pleasure. I know thy works, and I will ease me and mine adversaries. He never portrays himself as soft on sin or as loving, perpetually unrepentant sinners. He does not favorably compare himself with man, but in great variety of ways insists that our thoughts are not his thoughts, and our ways are not his ways. God does not indicate that he needs us, but insists on our need of him. He does not accommodate himself to our lifestyle, but demands that we conform our ways to his. Contrary to the thinking of many, God is not evolving into a softer, more cuddly being, but is as full of righteous indignation now as when he flooded the earth, destroying the civilization of Noah's day, and when he poured fire and brimstone from heaven upon Sodom and Gomorrah. The meek and gentle Jesus is very God who pronounced, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! And asked, 
Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? This very same Christ told the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida, It shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for thee. Never forget, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and with him also that is of of contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Every person who maintains a view of God as high as is set forth in the Bible is forced into a correspondingly low view of self. No man can be great in his own eyes when his eyes are fixed on the high and lofty one whose name is holy. Who alone is great? Conversely, a degraded view of God promotes an inordinately high view of self. The problem of human pride can never be efficiently dealt with. In fact, there is no motivation for humiliation apart from an exalted view of God. Such phenomenally large numbers of human sins spring from pride that is called the breeder sin. Pride is also spoken of as a barrier sin and that it erects insurmountable walls between proud sinners and proud sinners and walls between proud sinners and humble saints, and walls between proud sinners and God himself. And he's saying, you need a high view of God. And that will destroy your pride. Yes, it will give you a low view of self. But that's where God dwells. He dwells in two places. The high and lofty place, which you and I cannot go. And he dwells in the broken of spirit, in the contrite of spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they shall shall inherit the kingdom of God, right? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Not that you're poor in materials. But you see such a high view of Jesus Christ. When you look in the mirror, you don't see that. How do we contend for the faith when it comes to the root sin of pride? We must check our own hearts and minds for pride. Do we always compare ourselves with others in the church to see if we are doing better than them? Are our eyes constantly fixed upon Christ and trusting that by His grace we are being sanctified and made holy by Christ's work alone? So which one do we do? Do we compare ourselves to others? Or do we fix our eyes upon Christ? Trusting in Him. Trusting that it's His grace that sanctifies us. Hebrews 12, 1-1 Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, laying aside every weight and sin which so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It will destroy your pride. To the imposters, second, we point the imposters to the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
Philippians 2, 5, 11. Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of the tongue of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To the impostors whose root sin is pride, repent. Look to Christ. Whether you repent or not, your knee will bow. Your tongue will confess that he is Lord. Repent of your pride. And we'll end here. What can all of us do? Look to Jesus Christ and be saved. He who says of himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty One, Jesus Christ. Look unto him. Amen.